You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Hello, please let me see your ticket subs for the double-edged devil bill. This week, Blade Runner, Mac, and me get redemption in 2049. Adam Thomas and Thomas Nariani will come to the table to discuss the randomly selected yin and yang of double feature. Then both will have to take it in between 1 and 10 in order to seal their fates for the next episode. When we'll have two good movies, the other two bad ones. Let the chaos begin. I am Thomas Nariani, and am I truly human? I can't even tell at this point. It's been so long, so many episodes. All of us, none of us can tell if you're human. <laughs> uh, and I am the shameful and terrible full-length feature commercial that is adam thomas oh man you know adam your introduction just makes me want to drink coke and eat a big mac and uh just really celebrate my lord and savior ronald mcdonald uh watching that movie makes me want to do coke so you can play along with the production team <laughs> yeah right pretty much so i can understand what the hell i'm watching <laughs> uh but welcome everybody to a very important crucial episode of double edge double bill um not really, it's like a lot of other ones, except uh, it's a uh, distinct number here. It is episode 150 of Double Edge Double Bill. We've been doing this for nearly three years. Every 50 episodes, I could do something where, um, one, if you're new, this is a weird episode to jump in on. Uh, but basically, every week, Adam and I uh, have two movies uh, of good and bad quality, depending on who has the rotation at that particular time. Um, so in the case of last week, uh, I had two good movies and it had two bad and we picked them between one and 10 for those two choices. We've been doing that all this time for all these episodes we've done. And, uh, whenever we do that, that means one good pick and one bad pick goes on to be discussed on an episode and then two others uh, are left in the dust. So when we do redemption episodes, every 50 episodes, uh, we like to give a few different options a chance at a redemption to be discussed on the show. Yeah, these are pretty much the wildest as far as picks go, typically. Uh, we've had a couple lately where it's, it's kind of nuts. Cloris Leachman, uh, fuck. But um, typically, these are the most bizarre sort of matchups. Right, because there's no specific topic and they're plucked from different episodes. But we love doing this, especially because it's always a bummer oh, yeah. whenever I have like a movie I would love to discuss on the show as an option. But then it's like, oh, I'll bring it up at some other point. And then I realize, oh, wait, it doesn't really fit into any other, like, slot. <laughs> Honestly. It's always kind of weird to try and pluck it. So that's why we have Redemption, just for that specific kind of, let me pluck this from a previous episode and actually get a chance to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, also, it's kind of important because uh, there we usually do this rotation of, like, good and bad. Uh, that's been the same previously for, like, every week. So on this particular week in January, Adam always has had the good pick. And I've had the bad pick, and then vice versa as things keep going down, for example. Um, but this is the first time we've shifted that. So usually we would mm -hmm. have had, like, the opposite quality choices. So from here on, we're doing completely different on that. We'll be swift in, uh, we'll be shifting for that. That'll be very interesting, especially for things like, for example, we always like to do a, a Valentine's, like, romantic 
themed episode, and I've always had the good for those. So come next February, it'll be uh, your chance to have a good. Uh, well, that'll be interesting. That will be, but that's yeah, several months off be. in the future. We need to talk about the now, Adam, and the now uh, is uh, our two picks that we decided on from last time. Uh, there's a bit of a theme in that they're both science fiction films to some extent. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I guess you want, yeah, if you really want to. Yeah, I guess, if we have to tie them together in a way. There that's, you go. That's true, yes. Uh, we'll first be discussing your bad pick of Mac and Me, which was your alt from the Family Films episode we did last year. And then we'll have my good pick, which is Blade Runner 2049, my alt from the Long Delayed Sequels episode we also had last year. Uh, two very different films of very, very different quality. Both really pimp out advertising, in a way, too. That's true, but at least oh. one is for, like, products that were deceased at the time. Like the Pan Am yes. advertisements in one of them. We'll talk about it. But first, let's talk about Mac and me. Hi, kids. It's me, Ronald McDonald. And I'm on the set of my very first motion picture ever. It's a movie called Mac and Me. They were an average alien family living on their own planet. And we were an average family living on ours. Accidents happen, and like us, they found themselves in a strange new neighborhood. And my brother, Eric, wants to make friends. You suck this living thing into a vacuum cleaner? Yeah, and then we blew him out again. Now Eric is risking not only his life, but my life. Give me the gun. Step back! To save me. It's about more than friendship. It's about adventure. Mac and me. So Mac and me came out uh, August 12, 1988 from director Stuart Raffle, who this is the first time we've done a film of his filmography, but he is a treasure trove of potential bad picks that uh, I can't wait to hopefully discuss more of like Tammy and the T-Rex, Ice Pirates, <sighs> Um, Mannequin 2 on the move. Jesus. (laughs) He's sort of an infamous bad filmmaker. Early Rob Reiner, he is not. No, that's true, but he never also had the shift to being good Rob Reiner at any point in his career. (laughs) That's Uh, true. If you look into the the 90s and onward. Um, But Mac and Me um, is a very interesting product of its time. Uh, We talked about E.T. on the show previously, a film you're not necessarily a fan of, Adam. Um, but, uh, it was such a big thing in 1982 that a lot of people tried to glom onto that success in some way. And Mac and Me is the worst offender in terms of a ripoff of E.T., where it is literally structurally the exact same plot. And it's shot, I think, in, like, if not the same neighborhood, like, a couple blocks away. Because it's the same kind of, like, California suburban setting. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it it is the worst, but it's also the most famous of the E.T. ripoffs, I'd argue. I think infamous is the better term to use. That's true. Well, the people, yeah, but I mean, the thing is, like, think about it. How many other E.T. ripoffs can you think of at the top of your head? Excuse me, sir. We've talked about pod people on this podcast before. Oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> Hashtag never forget pod people. <laughs> Another yeah. subject of an MST3K episode, much like this one, oh, um, yeah. for the Netflix. I believe, wasn't it the first of the Netflix run, right, was Mac and Me? Yes, I believe so. If not the very first movie, it was definitely in the first run. 
Right, an auspicious debut uh, that they tackled quite well, I would argue. Uh, I would recommend on Netflix watch that. But, but Adam, we got to talk about the movie itself, and you picked it. So I want you to go into it first. Uh, why uh, particularly Mac and Me, especially as a redemption, one you really wanted to go back to? Well, I think you already you already said it. It's so fucking egregiously bad, and yet it's utterly fascinating to me that this is literally a feature-length E.T. ripoff filmed and sort of used to promote mcdonald's i mean from the name alone mac and then i can't wait till we get into the fucking cocaine fueled birthday party um <laughs> but it's just it, it, it it's just so nuts to me that this this just blatant level of sort of product placement and everything exists like you always see product placement in movies i don't care how many times you watch a movie watch when someone's drinking a can of something or a bottle of something they always hold it to where the label is showing or whenever somebody has say like a laptop you can very clearly see the apple logo or the sony logo yeah, and stuff like or that. audi in, in movies where it just shows the audi logo constantly and plus the, all and all the shots where like the the car like drives up it's very clearly like prominent like a commercial just like audi yes here to stop the dinosaurs of Jurassic Park, what? I guess. Uh, yeah, pretty, oh, those are Mercedes Benz. True, thing. yes. But yeah, it's just dumb. It, to me, it, it almost takes you out of the movie every time it happens, uh, especially when it's so egregious and in your face. This is eighty some minutes of that for the most part. Yeah, because um, even when they're not in McDonald's and they're not, Coke is still throughout the whole fucking movie. But even when they're not in McDonald's, his name is still Mac. And the sister is wearing a McDonald's uniform quite, quite frequently in the movie. Yes, the classic '80s era with the visor and everything. Yeah, it's it's still right in your fucking face the whole movie, and it, I just find it so utterly fascinating that a movie like this exists, and not only does it exist, but it's got name recognition, like still to this day, people know what this movie is even without seeing it. They know of Mac and Me, at least people from our era. I think particularly because I'm curious where you discovered it because for me it was definitely the running gag on the late night with Conan O'Brien and various different versions of that talk show in which anytime Paul Rudd would appear and still appears to this day on the show and he says hey I got a movie to promote here's the clip it is the famous clip from this movie in which our protagonist who's in a wheelchair loses control of his wheelchair and glides off of a cliff into the water while Max suddenly appears and is open-eyed and wide at the terror that is just yes. taking place. Was that where you discovered it? No, I actually discovered it. I don't know how we had it. I want to say it was given away on McDonald's, but we had it on VHS. <laughs> was it like a lament configuration thing where it just showed up at your house? <laughs> Quite possibly. <laughs> we got it from somewhere. Like maybe from McDonald's, like, you know, buy it for five bucks or something at the time. Or some, or a garage sale or who the fuck knows. My grandma may, might even bought it. Like, oh, this looks like a movie the kids will like. It feels like the uh, earliest example of like an asylum thing where it's like, oh, yeah, my, son sure. keeps ta- my grandson keeps talking about the movie with the alien and the boy. This is it, isn't it? 100%. This has got to be it. So I saw this when I was really young, and I remember even as a little tyke, God, I'm talking six, seven, eight years old, thinking this was so stupid. And it has stuck with me ever since, especially because the like parent aliens are generally kind of terrifying with their bellies and the way they walk, and they're like naked. And you're like, this is so creepy and weird. And then, and I'm just going to get into it, spoiler for anybody who hasn't seen it, and I mean, we'll address it later, but this is something that always stuck with me. The kid dies. 
like in an explosion. Right. Well, the aliens bring him back. Well, what's interesting also is we'll get into this, but there's different versions of that. <laughs> there's different I know, versions. But of that's that. the only version that matters. No, 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 no. It is now. We'll get into that in a second. The the designs. The big thing is like this is obviously trying to replicate on ET. We talked about this when we talked about ET. That that design in theory does is very creepy and very weird. And on paper, if you showed me that sketch of like that design, I'd be like, this is never gonna work. Who would like find this adorable? Yet people yeah. did. With E.T., he at least feels like he's a realistic moving figure, like the puppetry and all other stuff really works to make you feel like, oh, E.T.'s a living, breathing thing. Anytime you see Mac and his family move around, um, they look dead. They look like just dead yeah. creatures that are just, like, on top of things. Like, half of the fun of this movie is just watching, like, Mac sterilely just standing or doing something. Like, especially, my favorite bit is when the dogs are chasing him while he's on the little kid's truck in the neighborhood and he looks just like this is a stuffed animal or a corpse that's just on this thing it's not a realistic thing and it looks unsettling it's just like if i was a kid i would not be drawn like oh he's my friend it'd be like kill it just murder it <laughs> what the fuck is this yeah i i kind of agree with you i mean this thing that thing needs to die it looks like it should be saying kill me <laughs> yeah oh 100 like it's constantly in pain yes Please, no more soda. <laughs> but um, and you know, and of course, Coke is the thing that brings it back. Like it's like its favorite thing. Whatever. Well, whatever, and, whatever. and literally, his like main source of food on his planet is like some sort of substance that tastes like Coke. And for some reason, like I love that like the kids bring that up. It's just like, oh, it tastes like something on his home planet. How the fuck do you know that? <laughs> I don't know. That's a very intelligent guess, and apparently, it's true. I mean, these kids are geniuses, except they, their mother is so dumb and inept, by the way, to where when she gets up and she's like, oh, no, what have you boys done? And the entire outside is in the inside of the house. And like the kids like, we didn't do this. One of the and the one she blames is in a wheelchair. Right. How could he have handled and done any of that? Like, honestly, well, he was helped out by his teenage brother who can walk. And clearly that means you could do any of this. Yeah, you could literally just recreate the Nevada desert in your front room in the span of, like, you know, six hours while your mom sleeps. My grandmother's painting, it's a hundred years old. <laughs> <laughs> One of my favorite lines. Ooh. Oh, man. I love the inept, like, scientist secret service guys, too. Just how fucking stupid those guys are. Like, every adult, this movie, like, it is typical in sort of kids' movies where the adults are dumb. It's like nobody believes the kids. The kids got the handle on everything, but they're all especially dumb in this movie. It makes you really respect like Steven Spielberg's choice to make everyone except D. Walls, who's an adult, and E.T. like faceless figures, because like yeah. that makes way more sense to do in the situation as opposed to people bumbling just like, oh, we gotta get this kid in a wheelchair. It's like, guys, this shouldn't yeah, be I mean, that difficult. <laughs> like running through different department stores to try to catch these people, and it's like, dude. <sighs> You're the Secret Service or whatever. Like, just shut the fucking block down. What are we doing here? It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And then the aliens get guns. I mean, that you know, whatever. <laughs> so they basically rob a grocery store. It's so fucking stupid. Oh, the vacuum. Oh, God. Well, hold on, hold okay, on, hold so on. That, we got we well, to taste ourselves about this movie a bit. I, well, that's the problem with this movie. Like, it, it's so stupid, and it's such a just a fucking blatant ripoff and cash grab for McDonald's that 
you know, sometimes when I go off on these rants, it's just a series of like sort of loosely connected thoughts and mumblings and rambles. That's kind of what this whole movie is. That's basically yeah, the outline of the movie is written by Adam Thomas secretly. <laughs> it, it oh, okay, yeah, you take the floor for a minute because I'm literally like flabbergasted. Well, yeah, we should point out like we keep talking about McDonald's. The big thing is one of the producers is a guy named R.J. Lewis who was like a big advertising campaign person for McDonald's. And I, I thought for years this was funded by McDonald's, but actually it's more a case of like, okay, we can approve you like using a lot of the iconography and stuff like that just as like a publicity thing because we're like loyal to this particular producer who hired Stuart Raffle. And I love the fact that apparently he was hired like before they even finished a script and Raffle had to finish it like on weekends before the shoot, <laughs> which is makes so much sense watching the movie um and you can tell like it's definitely designed to be an et ripoff that occasionally dips into like this mcdonald's advertising um or just any like related products like coke or sprite shows up at a certain point stuff like that and you can really tell that it, it wants to make it appear like it's innocuous but also the movie is shot in this blend with it feels like a commercial like one of the lesser mcdonald's commercials you would ever see but the thing is, yeah, they want to make it sort of feel like innocuous or whatever. But then you have a 15-minute birthday party yes, outside and inside of a McDonald's where there's people breakdancing outside and inside the restaurant. And all the fucking workers and everything, they're so happy. They're clapping. They're jiving. They're digging it. Ronald McDonald himself is there doing silly tricks and magic for the kids. And it's like... If I ever pulled up to a McDonald's and there's a bunch of fucking breakdancers outside fucking stoked that they're at McDonald's, I'm going to Burger King. Like, I'm getting the fuck on. (laughs) (laughs) There's no way, dude. And then, God forbid, you make it past the front door. I I mean, I'd have a meltdown. I would love to be, like, at least to to witness what this giant choreographed thing, this dance contest. As you know, anytime I go into McDonald's, like, especially when I'm, like, I don't know, hungover at 1 a.m., they'll have dance contests every hour. So, like, that clearly yeah. happens that all the time. Um, and, like, this elaborate choreographed dance bit where you have some... Particularly, I love my favorites are there's the the Asian guy and the black girl who are off to the side, like, Absolutely. doing the thumbs up towards, like, either side. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> my favorite bit. Um, but also that you have Mac, who everyone thinks is a toy because he's dressed up like a teddy bear, doing these elaborate breakdance things that no matter what time period, either now or backwards... You would be like, that seems like uh, maybe a toy couldn't do that. Like even Teddy and AI couldn't do this. His ass fell down the stairs constantly. <laughs> he's he's a future bear. And to be fair, like AI would be an even better film if you know he did that. Steven Spielberg, take notes. Yeah, take notes. Hey Spielberg, watch Mac and me. Yeah, you made ET. Have you seen the superior version? Oh, um, uh, where is this choreography in West Side Story, sir? I hope it's there. <laughs> it better be there. <laughs> I need the nameless fucking breakdancers thumbing up everything. Um, it's just, you know, and the thing is, it's like, I don't know, maybe it's a West Coast thing. Maybe this does happen at McDonald's. I don't know. It definitely not out here in Metro Detroit. It doesn't happen. You'll get fucking shot. <laughs> you try to dance while someone's trying to get a 10-piece. And there's the, also the trivia of apparently Nikki Cox and Jennifer Aniston are two of the dancers in that McDonald's sequence. Nikki Cox. The the redhead? the um Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, boy. Now I gotta rewatch it and look for that shit. But also, I really want to also comment <laughs> on how, like, so much of this movie is, like, clearly on such weird autopilot. Like, even 
the score is done by Alan Silvestri, who had come off of, like, doing the scores for, like, Back to the Future and Predator. And he has, like, hey, you want to hire me? I'll give you two themes. And that's what you populate the score with. The most over-the-top, whimsical bullshit I could possibly just, like, fart out of my butt. This is your score. for sure. You know, he's something he could pose to listen to him, listen while he's in the bathtub, you know, biting the fart bubbles. Like, <laughs> that's, that's what this sounds like. It's so stupid. It, it, like, it literally, like, yeah, no, this is no good. This is like something like a cotton candy peddler would play. Like, go get some candy. It's so bad. It's so bad. Like I said, there, there's, there's literally no redeeming qualities to this movie. The score is bad. It does look like a shitty commercial. The product placement is atrocious. The characters are fucking all of them dumb. God bless those little kids. Like, especially the poor, um, main actor here, uh, Jade Calgary, who was actually a kid in a wheelchair. Wait, he's really in a wheelchair? In right. real life? Which was apparently a big thing for McDonald's was they wanted an actual, like, kid who was, like, disabled. I honestly didn't know that. To some degree. I honestly didn't. Well, now he's got a little more credit for me. Um, well, I, I just feel more sorry for him. It's just like, cause usually we talk about this where it's like, oh, a kid is out there in the middle, like who, especially ones that are in one movie and then they never appear on another one again. It's just like, oh, it's clear. It's just like, it's, it's so hard for like a child actor and the additional factor of like, oh, hey, you have to do all this while we clearly emphasize your disability and you're like, yeah, that's it's it's got to be like <laughs> such an awkward thing for that poor kid to deal with. Oh, that's true. I never thought of that. Yeah, like that. Hey, you want to you want to be an actor, kid? You want to be in this movie? Yeah. Okay, you're gonna be a little kid, and you know you meet an alien. You're gonna go on a bunch of wacky hijinks. Bring your wheelchair. That does suck. Well, I mean, especially because like so much of the emphasis is on just like, hey, we're gonna have all this factor on the fact that you have disability, not like in a thing where it's like, oh, hey, you're the lead, and you just happen to be in a wheelchair. No, no, yeah, no. They they beat you over the head with it that this kid's in a wheelchair. Right. It's quite frequently <laughs> rough. It's all that poor kid. It's this weird thing where they want to have their cake and eat it too, but like, look, we're inclusive. We have this kid who has this clear disability on hand, but also we're going to emphasize at every point and put him in danger specifically yeah, because right. of this in a way that feels really exploitative and shitty. Yeah, that's a good point. Like, yeah, we're being inclusive, man. We're really like sort of breaking down doors. We got to, our main uh, lead is in a wheelchair. Have you noticed he's in a wheelchair? Every five minutes. He's in a wheelchair. It's as inclusive as, like, in the Burger King Kids Club things from the 90s, where it's just like, look, here's all of our, like, awesome kid characters, including one in a wheelchair. What's his personality? Did you see the wheelchair? <laughs> they might as well call him Wheels. Like, it's so I think stupid. they did on the, the Burger King thing. I, I, I believe that's what they called him. I think it was something like that. I want to say it was something like that, like Wheelie or something. It's so bad. Um, but, and, and in this movie in particular, where they put this kid through the ringer, including the thing you referenced about, like, the climax, where it seems like he explodes, in the original Japanese version of, like, VHS thing, you see the full extent of that, where there's the one cop who falls over and his gun goes off. The gun, in, in the actual thing, blows his fucking chest up. Not, like, with oh. gore, but there's, like, air that comes out, basically, and he just, like, flops over. Oh my god, I gotta see that. That's on YouTube. You, I'll, I'll, I'll send you that link. But yeah, that's that's a real thing. Oh, please do. That might have made this movie better. I like that we went from like, oh, this poor kid in a wheelchair cut to, oh, I want to see his chest blow up. Shot him with a shotgun. Hell yeah. But, uh... Send all your hate mail to at Adam Thomas. 
That's fine. I'll take it. <laughs> wow. This movie's kind of a masterpiece. Well, I'll say, like, that's a question, because, like, we love talking about a good, bad movie yeah. on the show, in terms of, like, an entertainingly bad movie. And I will say, I don't think this one is quite, like, a so funny it's bad movie, but it's more of, like, the train wreck kind of thing, where you're just like, I'm astonished this exists. Because well, every, it's like every turn you see is, like, the wrong one. Down to one of the other kids, like, the best friend of our main character is this little girl who's introduced as, like, oh, hey, I am uh, have, like, weird Native American powers, and I'm wearing, like, this fucking headband, mm-hmm. and I'm in the teepee, and it's this very white girl. And I'm like, oh, what? What are we oh, doing? Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 by the way, sure. reminded me exactly of the Pepsi girl from the 90s who was also in Polly. Oh, for sure. Yes, 100%. Trivia sister of Jesse Eisenberg. Oh, God. That makes sense, actually, when you say that. Yeah. On looks alone. Looks like Jesse Eisenberg wearing a fucking wig. You know, so bad they're good movies. There, there is a big difference between those and this. Like with with some that are so bad they're enjoyable. I will watch those by myself and still get a fun kick out of them. This would be one that if I were to watch it by myself, I'd probably be bored. But to show it to somebody who's never seen it, I'd get a lot of enjoyment out of that. Mm-hmm. Just out of their reaction of what the fuck am I watching? Like that would be enjoyable. But watching this by myself, nah, man. I'm like, I'm, I'm tapped out on this one. Yeah, I feel like I kind of had that experience. So there's still so much weird, fun things. Like I'd seen this before, obviously, in various different permutations sure. from either MST3K or just by its own. And I think it's definitely one of those I would recommend seeing at least once in terms of like a historic bad movies. Because you hear about like, oh, this movie's so bad, and sometimes it's just like really unwatchably bad. You can't really get much investment in it. This is definitely, like, captivating in terms of, like, oh, where are they going to go next? But more in the, what wrong turn are they going to make? What example of, like, oh, hey, we're going to have, like, these designs for these characters? Or end the movie on a big, like, immigration thing of, like, they're now citizens of the U.S.? And have, like, everybody hug these, like, once again, dead husk-looking alien creatures. (laughs) I know. Like what is the what are we trying to do here? What what message are we trying to get across at the end? Like is is it a pro immigration thing? Well, okay, that's fine, but this is probably not the way to deliver that message. Especially we're just like, yay, we want to accept all of our immigrants, in, and we're going to represent them as these dead-eyed, monstrous creatures who don't have any kind of autonomy to them whatsoever. Dude, nobody would be okay with these creatures like being around them, like ever. No, just just you know maybe spend the money to get them back to their planet somehow right. <laughs> maybe although oh, their planet's dying um forgot so i guess they're happy in, in la where there's breakdance mcdonald's well, who wouldn't be hmm. I'm happy at that prospect yeah. is there any other silly shit we haven't mentioned about this movie <laughs> well i brought up the vacuum thing the vacuum thing is so ridiculous yes where they, they it's some of the worst special effects where they suck the whole alien into a vacuum and first of all, no, it would have been killed. Second of all, wouldn't it work? Third of all, the vacuum like goes nuts. It's like making so much noise and breaking shit up and destroying everything. And nobody hears it except for like the teenage mother, I think. Right. The mom does, like does not notice whatsoever. I, I would say that's a pretty no, bad no. effect. But my least favorite effect is probably the Mac stretch arm power, oh, oh, which God. looks horrific um it looks genuinely unsettling just like is this like a freddy krueger nightmare that's about to happen <laughs> every time <laughs> you know it's they just took paper mache and put on like a random branch they found out in the yard 
This is his arm. <laughs> it's terrifying. Or also, I love what attempts to be like 80s singles that play throughout this whole thing that feel like these are parodies of 80s songs, right? These aren't real 80s songs. You didn't compose these genuinely. A hundred percent. It feels like they have some old white bread vanilla ass dude. I know what the kid's like. Yeah, here we go. And just recorded a bunch of junk with whatever, like, niece or nephew of his who could kind of sing or maybe had a shitty garage band. Particularly the one montage that starts with, like, um, the our young hero and his mother going on, like, a, a run. And fucking Mac is inside, like, the tree getting chased after being chased by the dogs. And it's this weird song that sounds like a love song, but it's about, like, where we should be friends. I'm gonna miss you every time we are together, friends. It's like, what the fuck is this? It's nothing to do with the scene. <laughs> Not at all. Yeah, that's Mac and me. That's kind of the whole movie. Nothing has anything to do with anything. Those sound like pretty good like final thoughts unless you have anything possible to add to that. I mean, I would just sort of echo what you said. If you haven't seen it, it's definitely worth a watch just on the sort of absurdity level alone. But other than that, yeah, it's it's pretty awful. I think you would probably have more fun if you're not with other people watching the MST3K episode. That's probably the best way to watch this. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, overall. But overall, yeah, um, I would agree. I wouldn't consider this quite so funny bad, but also not unwatchably terrible. It's that weird train wreck thing of just, if you've never seen it before, just watching like, oh my god, this is fascinating. This is like really doing every one of these things it's really for these weird set pieces that's so fascinating like the stuff um even we didn't mention early on when they're on the the planet it's the worst paper mache painting possible um or when they, or when they escape or just like certain things of them being chased around stuff like that um there's a lot of uh fascinating ideas on what movie produced by a marketing executive would think is a good idea there were also these tapes in the 90s the mcdonald's funded themselves where they were animated by the guys who did rugrats and it was like the adventures of ronald mcdonald and his friends oh, yeah. yeah oh my god well you forgot about those yeah i remember watching those when i was younger it's total indoctrination it's just total like hey you love these friends why don't you come and eat fast food with them and shit like yes. that. Um, it's total just like crass commercial shit. Um, and this at least it elevates itself slightly above being that, being a sinister product of a corporation, just because of its pure ineptitude. Like if this was a sleekly produced version of this, it would be kind of evil, as opposed to what is which is just, oh, this is fucking stupid. <laughs> yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. If this if this had any more competency behind it, then yeah, you'd be like, oh, this is just fucking yeah, like you said, evil. It's indoctrination bullshit. Where this is just like, this is so bad and dumb. Right. If you were, if I'm sure, if your daughter watches, she'd be like, no, "Daddy, we can never go to McDonald's again. I never want to see McDonald's right. again." Right. I wonder if this is what got the supersize me guy going. <laughs> <laughs> Morgan Spurlock origins. <laughs> yep. Oh, well, we have a whole other film to talk about here, uh, which we'll do in just a moment. But first, here's a promo for an ESO show you can queue up right after ours. Crisis for the geek kind. Top geek officials admit they underestimated the hipster's defense capability. Join the geek revolution and save the galaxy. Geeks from all over the globe are joining up to fight for the future. They're doing their part. Are you? Want to know more? Join Weeby Geeks and the Geek Revolution and save the world. Service guarantees citizenship. 
Listen to Weeby Geeks Podcast on iTunes and Stitcher or online at WeebyGeeks.net. Weeby Geeks, your voice for the geek revolution. All right, now let's get into our good feature, Blade Runner 2049. I found him. That's not possible. You have 48 hours to erase everything. Replicants are the future. But I can only make so many. I had the lock, and he has the key. Bring it to me. I did your job once. Things were simpler then. Tell me what you remember. We were being hunted. By who? I know you're here. The future of the species is finally unearthed. Where is he? We did our experience at an IMAX, October 6th. So Blade Runner 2049 came out October 6th, 2017, from director Denis Villeneuve, uh, which is the first film of his we've covered, though we're pretty big fans. Um, and especially Adam, this was my pick, but I mainly picked it because I know... You're a pretty big fan, not just of this film, but Blade Runner. In particular, the first Blade Runner, I believe, is one of your favorites, if not your favorite film of all time. Uh, it's in my top three. Blade Runner, to me, is science fiction perfection. You know, there's so many different sci-fi subgenres. Like, there's a lot of real high-minded sci-fi. There's real, you know, sci-fi action, sci-fi horror. I think Blade Runner is ultimately a very accessible sci-fi movie to almost anybody getting into the genre. It's pretty much exactly the story they're trying to tell is on the screen and it to me it's pretty easy to follow like you get exactly what's going on you get the story it, it's all there it's a little long and everything and i can see why people who might be younger might not be into it but yeah i absolutely just adore blade runner for all of its faults and all of its just everything it's got i, and, I think and it's, all of its different versions as well you're even like a big fan of yeah. the original cut that people decry a lot yeah I'm, I'm fans of all the versions for different for even the different reasons and the different things that they do in them i, I i'm a huge fan I, i'll never hate on the original version because the original version is what i saw that made me a fan um i do prefer the director's cut and then of course as you already said denis villeneuve he's my probably my favorite director working today um, everything of his that I've seen, I absolutely just love. And uh, so for this to come out, and I got to be honest, man, when it was coming out, I was like, oh, fuck, this is going to suck. Uh, even though it was Denis Villeneuve and Gosling, and I really like Gosling, but like uh, Harrison Ford had really kind of been shit in the bed in his later movies before this came out, where he's like, he so just doesn't care about anything he's doing really i wonder if he was a bit at least like of late that point he had also just he was coming right off of like force awakens where he felt like he had a bit more pep in his step i would argue a little more pep in his step but you got to figure out that was one performance where you're like uh okay and it, right you know, so it's, it's more of a crapshoot where it could be like either that or a crystal skull or like it could Jones. be one of those two yeah exactly yeah return to a character like oh what which which harrison ford are we gonna get and uh he's fucking good in this movie and well before you get too <laughs> okay before you get too far into the new movie i want to at least establish that um i've, I've seen uh, the first blade runner plenty of times and it's a movie i i really like 
And I think particularly, like, it has so many interesting characters, are, like, surrounding the main story. I just think my biggest problem has always been, and even I rewatched it earlier this week um, to prepare for the show, uh, it, I still stand that I don't really have much investment in Deckard as a character. I think he kind of fits the traditional noir detective trope. I agree. Uh, but in a way that doesn't also really excite me. Like, I think a lot of the other characters do. Like, I think particularly Sean Young as a version of, like, the femme fatale. It actually isn't nearly as sinister as, like, one would initially suspect because she's a robot version of this character. Right. Or Roy Batty also, obviously. Rutger Howard's phenomenal well, in that film. Yeah, a it's, great, it's his movie. A great screen villain, for sure. Uh, but Deckard was always my biggest stumbling block. For that movie. And so coming into this one, I was like, oh, okay, I, I like Denny Villeneuve quite a lot. This is him coming off of Arrival and also Sicario, like a, a solid uh, bunch of interesting films. I'm like, okay, I'm curious to see what he does with a bigger budget. And um, yeah, so there, all that going into this, Adam, um, especially for you being such a fan, um, do you think they, uh, Villeneuve and everyone else hit it out of the park? Completely right out of the park. Not only do they play just kind of wonderful homage in the way they do it to the original, but they also introduce all these new characters and ideas that you ultimately care about just as much, if not more than the returning characters. And the look of it feels completely like it's in the same universe, uh, even just a little updated, uh, which makes sense because it's now, you know, however many years since the original was supposed to take place. Uh, 30, because um, it was 2019 in the first film. Yeah, so, so it's like 30. 30 years. Yeah, and I mean, it just, it just, yeah, to me, they just fucking hit a home run. What about you? What do you think? Um, yeah, I, so I sat down and watched this in the theater, um, and I love it, and I vastly prefer it to the original movie. I think it's mainly because Kay, as played by Ryan Gosling, is one of my favorite sci-fi main characters in a recent science fiction film. I think just because, like, that character has so much nuance to it, especially about the idea of being a replicant in this world, where it's like, okay, um, in this future, like, after this huge blackout happens uh, at some point between the two movies, replicants are mostly outlawed to the point where now the one of the few remaining ones has become a Blade Runner that hunts them down. And I think just right from that opening sequence between him and Dave Batista delivering a phenomenal small turn oh, right at the top, um, immediately establishes just like, okay, this is like such a fascinating thing. And it was apparently originally meant to be in the first film, that actual sequence uh, with Deckard obviously being in that place. And I think the it adds so much more that you have a character firmly established as a replicant from the start doing this because it becomes this whole thing of like oh this character is excelling at his job really appeasing robin wright as his superior and everything is like oh so hunky-dory for him in his actual job but that leaves him so crushingly lonely and i just love the way oh. they paint his like actual life living with this hologram played by Anna de Armas. Uh, really, I think the role that made her pop and sort of like got her oh, like a lot of the other jobs she's gotten since. Um, in like their relationship is so layered and fascinating because on one level, there's a lot of tragedy. There's a lot of empathy you can have for both of these beings that are real. But at the same time, there's also an undercurrent that it could be sort of like a manipulation. There is a falseness to it just in the way that like certain interactions at the same time. Like Kay is such a layered character where at times he's like completely sympathetic and at times he is like a raging monster. You see so much of both Deckard and the Roy Batty character in him. that It feels like he's sort of the ultimate, like middle of the road for the two. Yeah. He's, he's sort of the amalgam of the two characters. Right. The amalgamation. Um, yes. 
it's a really fascinating performance to watch. You know, this is, I've always kind of been a Gosling fan, but this was the movie that I'm like, Oh, I really like this fucking guy. <laughs> Plus he, he, he turns into a performance. Like he, he, the way he acts in this is as we've talked about, one of my favorite styles of acting already, like understated performances, except when he like kind of goes berserk, but still he's got that quiet swagger to him that I really, really appreciate when it's done well. He's perfect casting for a replicant that way. If you see any of the earlier movies before this, oh, it like makes total sense he'd be a replicant. hundred percent. He he can give he gives such a nuanced performance without really saying much a lot of times. Just in looks and sort of uh you know, re- staring at himself even in reflections or things like that. Like it, it's really quite phenomenal. Yeah, I particularly love uh, probably my favorite delivery of his is during the amazing sequence where him and Ander Armas are outside on like the roof of the apartment and it's raining yeah, and she's just like, oh, I I love you so much. I love being with you. I, I feel so complete when I'm with you. He says, you don't have to say that. And that says so much. It's so great. <laughs> but I mean, and then you get to, you know, love, which is um, Sylvia. I'm sorry. I can't remember the rest of her name. Hoax. Uh, yeah, Sylvia Hoax. She's so good, and you get the idea right off the bat when you first meet her, like, oh, no, she's a force to be reckoned with. Except when she goes to see Jared Leto's character, and he just kind of, like, treats her like shit. Right. I love the fact that uh, Sylvia Hoax said at a certain point that, like, she interpreted that character to basically be, like, a 12-year-old who's really trying to appease her father. Which is also adds so many layers because Jared Leto kind of treats her also as, like, a wife and assistant in so many other roles that she feels like she wants to, like be up to his sort of specifications because he loves perfection so much and like we're uh-huh. we've both been very vocal not necessarily fans of jared leto um uh-huh. but it's perfect casting because he, he plays this weirdo billionaire who has these assumptions about like what it is to be a god living amongst ants and he at one point just murders this fresh robot out of just like a show that like he is this god um it's phenomenal casting it feels like he doesn't even need to act that much right no it is his best performance i mean without a doubt i mean i understand you know obviously it was supposed to be david bowie before he got really sick and then passed which also would have been pretty cool casting yes uh but i really really dig jared Leto in this movie i think he's quite phenomenal the thing is it, it there is big scope to it when ryan gossing goes to the desert to find deckard the color palette alone it, it's just gorgeous you know, the set design was walking through those statues. And I mean, it's just, it's beautiful to look at. And it's mostly practical. They very much emphasized they didn't want to do like CG unless they had to. And it right. really shows. Yeah. So, I mean, this movie, there's this giant scope of scenery and the world building and all of the technology and all this stuff. And yet the movie is just populated by just these nuanced performances. I think it balances itself so well. To where it's like, anytime I watch this, and I don't even know how many times I've seen it now, I cannot take my eyes off the screen. No, it, it looks gorgeous to the point where this was, um, one, obviously, the, the big sort of Oscar thing with this movie is that it, it won a couple Oscars, um, mainly for um, its visual effects, but also its cinematography, which is done by Roger Deakins. And it was his finally deserved win after 13 nominations yep. for, like, this is you shot, like, a bunch of great Coen Brothers movies and all sorts of other stuff, who should have had an Oscar way before 2017. But oh, if, sure. if there was a later, like, look, he had to eventually get it, I'm glad it was this movie because it's, like, one of the most beautiful movies I've ever seen. Just, like, every single look oh, and texture. Completely. Like, you feel the texture of the buildings while you're watching it. Yep. I completely agree. And, dude, the score. Um... It's so good. 
I I will honestly you say like the score. The score is my one kind of issue with the movie. I think it's Hans Zimmer. Um, and I forgot the other guy's name, but I think the, the score feels a lot more sort of like, tra- like modern Hans Zimmer scores to me, where it has like the sort of basic kind of thing that I'm not as into, especially during the action beats. Really like the best track to me is when they reuse the Evangelist score. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, that's really <laughs> I, see, I don't mind. I didn't mind the score. I, I I do like the score. I like, you know, when you, when Ryan Gosling's first going back to the LAPD in the beginning, and you all you hear is like loud motorcycle noises and loud this and loud that. To me, it just fits perfectly within the world because the world is just so busy and chaotic. Yeah, it's just, it's the one nitpick I have. And the credits also the other guy is a uh, Benjamin Walfish. Um, who also did the scores for, like, the It movies and Shazam, a few other things. They're, both of them are, are obviously not bad composers, especially, like, a Hans Zimmer can be great, and I love when he works, but I just feel like it it doesn't have, like, I get not doing the Vangelis score all over again. That's obviously, that makes sense for, like, so so distant in the future. That is a hell of a score, though. If they would have brought that back and maybe just modernized it a little bit, I think it would have worked. Just cleaned I, it up a little bit. I mean, I give him credit for just not repeating the same thing, because what's what I love about this movie in general is that it doesn't feel like it's just like Danny Villeneuve like jerking off Ridley Scott necessarily the whole time. That's just true. Like, per, per, like making his own sort of like, this is my fan film for Blade Runner, because that's a problem with like a lot of these legacy sequel movies. They feel less like intriguing developments of a story and much more like sort of fan films. And this one feels definitely like we're evolving a lot of the points from the original to the point where like, especially with Deckard, who um, a, a big thing I was so astonished by and really respect is that Decker doesn't show up until less than an hour before the movie ends, which I think mm-hmm. is such a brave choice and more importantly, a great choice because I think Deckard works so well as like this remnant of the past, this artifact that's still like surviving like a rat in the middle of like a destroyed Vegas. I think it's the perfect way for him to have gone at this point and having that like internal regret about what he's done with his life, but also he has this outer exterior of like, nope, it was the job I was supposed to do with like everything about the replicants. And I love the fact also that the running gag, obviously, that's been going on for 30 years since the original Blade Runner came out is, is Deckard a replicant? Is he a human? There's that argument that even Harrison Ford and fucking Ridley Scott argue about. And I love that this movie makes the definitive stance of there is no specific answer there, but the more important thing is even if they are a replicant or whatever, replicants are capable of so much more than we anticipated and doesn't that make them beings worth keeping alive and not hunting down right i completely 100 percent agree with you that was one of my big things about going into this before it came out that i was worried about um i was worried they were going to give that answer and that was one thing that i always kind of loved and appreciated um even to this day is that you don't know and it's sort of up to your interpretation of what you want it to be it works either way really but I, I like, you know, just the idea of, like, someone could say, no, he's definitely a human, but maybe he's not. And, and they leave that, like, no, that's what it is. Like, is he human? Is he a replicant? It's literally up to you to decide. And it doesn't ruin the story either answer. Right, but even then with, like, this new movie, it's so much more about, like, look, they can create life. They are living beings yeah. deserve their respect. Like, all the stuff about, like, the the backstory of the blackout and then also the resistance group that we get in the background. I just love also the fact that the thing that made me love this movie from the time I saw it in the theater to now is just the fact that Kay is our central character and we follow him throughout all of this, but brilliantly the story isn't actually like about him. He is a fringe part of this universe 
that we're following and seeing so much happen up to like, oh, he thinks the whole time he is actually the son of Deckard and uh, Sean Young. Which was another worrisome thing when I first saw this. I'm like, oh, I don't think I'm going to like that. Because right. they let you think that the whole movie. Right, and even, like, he even thinks that in his own right. Like, oh, this is the case. I've been following all this the whole time. And that twist that he's not that is so powerful, I think, because the ultimate conclusion is like, no, you're not like this main person, but your story matters. And what you're doing is so impactful to everyone else. And that's why I especially love someone who doesn't get enough credit for this movie, but uh, Carla Jury as uh, Dr. Anna Celine, who ends up being the reveal, yes. oh, she's the daughter, is it's such a like small performance that gives you so much, but like, oh, this woman has so much empathy for replicants and respect for like what being this kind of creature means, and especially being stuck inside of this hermetically sealed environment for like most of her life, how she wants to get out there. You, you, you get so much, especially when she looks at that memory of Ryan Gosling's and she just breaks yeah. down. It's like such a beautiful scene. Just the idea that all of her memory, her memories were put into all these like newer models, you know, that he's not the only one who remembers it's the exact same thing she does. And just the sort of the idea of that alone, it, it's, it's heartbreaking, and yet, like you said, it's just so beautiful at the same time. What a what a powerful, powerful scene and a statement. Right, and just the fact that also she looks like, if you had told me, oh, yeah, that's the daughter of Sean Young and Harrison Ford, like, I believe it. She looks a lot like yeah. both of them. It's pretty good 100%. casting on just that even basic level. But also just the fact that, like, Kay has to realize, like, oh, I'm not, like, the central purpose of this. It's It's a beautiful idea of, like, when he particularly encounters the one woman who is like the leader of the resistance, the one female replicant who has the one eye. And she talks about, Oh, you thought it was you this whole time. We all wish it was us. We would all want to be that. It hits on such an emotional palpable level in a way that I don't think the original movie ever quite does for me, aside from like Roy Batty. Like, and I think just the fact that it's a central character feeling that, and then that's what makes it so like beautiful with the ending where after he like has this huge fight scene with this brutal, awful fight with Sylvia Hoax and manages to get out of it, and how he just like dies on those stairs and the Evangelist score plays, it's the beautiful evolution of the replicant arc from like the original movie with Roy Batty, where it's like, oh, I'm such a villain, awful piece of shit who you have some empathy for by the end. This dude is our hero who we've seen go through so much back and forth, so much turmoil, so much like questionable material that we're like, who exactly are, how can we side with him or who couldn't side with him at all? Possibly like, come on, he, we have to follow him that by the time we get to the ending, it's just like, Oh no, he's not the hugest person of the story, but he did something so crucial. And that's like all anyone could hope to do with their lives, especially right. even a replicant like this. Yeah. Leave a mark in a way. That's a really good way to put it. Yeah. Well, and especially that, like I've heard some people criticize how like women are necessarily treated in the movie. But I think that's what's so, like, sort of crucial is that Kay thinks he's, like, the actual um, person who's, like, the center of the chosen one. But it's really about, like, no, you have to, like, be an actual ally and put yourself to the side and let the real person who can, like, progress things be the one to do this. And I think all the female characters have so much, like, more depth to them than that. Even, like, Mackenzie Davis, who plays essentially, like, a prostitute replicant, I think has so much more, like, depth to her performance that means so much more, especially when you find out, like, her past and everything. Just like, oh, okay, she is, like, actually this resistance fighter who is 
trying to like make something important actually happen with the use of K. Like there's there's so much more layers to every single one of these like even smaller characters. Yeah, I completely agree. I, I never really had a problem with the way the female roles were portrayed in this. I, I didn't realize that was a thing. It does surprise me, but I, I thought they were given the female characters were given more than they're just due, if not more so in certain cases. Yeah, I think that they're very complex characters, even down to Anna de Armas, who on paper is like, oh, you're a computer emotional, like, tether for the yeah, character. Even Robin Wright. Robin Wright's fantastic in this movie. Yes, and there's a lot of, like, great stuff, but it's like, I love when she goes to Kay's apartment and is just, like, drinking and just, like, eyeing him around. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, but even, like, with Anna de Armas, what I love also is how you feel so much investment in a character who, it's kind of like her, which we talked about previously, where it's like, oh, yeah. this is a computer software program. How can I be that, that invested in it? And especially, like, by the time she ends up being crushed and destroyed, she says, I love you, and then it cuts off. You feel so oh. emotionally impacted by that. It's a gut punch moment. It's masterfully done because it shouldn't be. She is just a program. But, yeah, it, it's pretty impactful. Right, and even, like, the sort of fan service points where we get calls back, like, particularly the Sean Young scene, if you told me, like, on paper, like, hey, that's what happens in this movie, it's like, oh, that sounds like it's going to be really bad. And in practice, it's perfect. Because it's it's kind of like so, a meta-commentary thing on even, like, the idea of a legacy sequel. Where, uh-huh. like, there are those promising, like, oh, I can bring you back to this moment, this thing that you loved so much, this particular shot from this movie that you keep playing over and over again in your eyes and look i've recreated perfectly and it's a really impressive effect it looks very close to sean young the cg and everything but deckard can see just like there's a detail off there's something off that you can't just recreate this perfection that i loved so much and then it's just disposably shot on the ground it's perfect her eyes were green yes so good you know i i love both movies i i probably love them both equally believe it or not the thing is i i would put the first one is like sci-fi action with drama bits to it. I would put this one more in the sci-fi drama with action bits. Like I would just flip the two sort of subgenres of it in a way. Uh, I, I just, like I said, I just think this is a masterful example of not only revisiting source material so many years later, but the legacy sequel idea as a as a whole i i don't think it's been done better than this yeah i I think especially because it's such a recurring trend and i think this is one of the ones that feels like it knows about like the trappings of a legacy sequel it's seen enough of those where it's like we can't just recreate the original movie let's actually evolve and go further from the original movie and to the point where like even the future like we we kind of obliquely referenced at the very start of the show about like oh they advertise for like pan am and stuff like that like that feels like it would be accurate to like a world where it's like hey what if the styles slightly evolved from the 80s, but the politics never quite did. Like, we never right. got out of that particular time on, like, a mental level. And so everything, as a result, is way worse. Like, I love how awful, like, the future is where it's like, oh, it looks just like this admittedly not great future that we saw in the first movie. But now it's just, like, that future extended further, which is like, oh, it the, just being outside is a hassle just like the worst weather. oh yeah it's, it's just gotten it's just gotten more crowded and the buildings have gotten taller that's basically it you know it's just it's overpopulation and just crime ridden horrible pollution and weather just it's just yeah it, it's a very bleak view of the future yeah there's certain polished things like all of wallace's stuff is super clean and polished and you know yeah ooh, there's flying cars and all this shit but 
everything looks so lived in and sucky. <laughs> like, it's just, ugh. It's so bleak. Right, which is what makes the eventual storyline involving, like, the rise of these replicants all the more important. Because it's kind of like, well, you know what? Humans have really done a fucking terrible job yeah. with, like, bringing yeah, things around. Run their course, right, why, why not let replicants kind of continue from this point? And it's one of those movies where even though you're a human sitting down watching, it's just like, you know, yeah. not a bad point. <laughs> yeah. No, I completely agree. Completely agree. Sort of, uh, maybe thin the herd a little bit. Yeah, I get it. I'll say this, it's a better example of doing that than I think even, like, a Thanos in the... Yes. Yes. In the the Marvel movies, I would say. Hot take. Uh, but, 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 um, we we could go on for a while longer on Blade Runner 2049. We could. But, um, why don't we go into some final thoughts here, Adam, the big Blade Runner man. Your final thoughts. Like I said, I think this is a perfect follow-up to a perfect movie already. To me... There's very few movies, especially that only exist with the original and sequel, that I would argue both of them are completely perfect. And this is definitely the shining example. I, I love absolutely everything about this movie. I love the way it's, like I said, the way it's shot, the way it's acted, the way it's filmed, the score, the color palettes, the overarching story. I love Kay as sort of the lead character. You know, it's just a shame that because it's attached to Blade Runner, which was ultimately a failure when it came out. I mean, I granted it's heralded as sort of a classic now, but this one didn't perform that well either. Well, yeah, because at $185 million, it's budget, it made 260.5. So like, yeah, not even that's a breaking even. That's a failure. No, that's right. Um, yeah. But I, I, I love also Ridley Scott, this motherfucker, this executive producer, saying, when asked about the box office disappointment, Ridley Scott said, it's slow, long, too long, I would have taken out a half hour. Pot, meat, kettle. Right, <laughs> Ridley. Yeah, let's, watch, let's watch Gods of Egypt. Yeah, fuck. <laughs> Especially like your um, director's cut that's probably an hour longer. <laughs> oh, you know, this guy's so full of shit. I love Ridley Scott, but he's full of shit. I know it sounds crazy, but if it was a huge hit, I'm worried that it might have spawned a sequel, and I'm glad it didn't go that route. I think this is it. Like, it's over. You don't need to tell another story in the Blade Runner universe. I think it's a perfect end note. I almost wouldn't mind if maybe it's it's one of these series you go back to, like, every 30 years, maybe. Like, you have whoever the Denny Villeneuve is of 2049 do, like, his version of, like, a, a progressive story from that point. I think that's where it would work the best, honestly, if you were to ever do another sequel. Just wait a while. Because even then, like, we, I will say there's some interesting things. Like, I don't know if you've seen any of the prologues to this movie that they released. Um, yes, I have. Which I think are, like, have some feel like the lead scenes. One in particular I think works phenomenally is uh, the anime one that was made by the guy who did, like, Cowboy Bebop and stuff like that. Yeah, that one was cool. Is astonishing. I'm just like, oh my god. If we're, if we're going to do more of these, I wouldn't mind even something like that. Like, oh, do an Animatrix, but for Blade Runner. I think would fit perfectly. But, as it stands, um, like I mentioned, I prefer this to the original movie. I feel so much more emotional investment in all of the characters, but particularly the main character. I think Kay is just, like, such a phenomenal example of how to really evolve a concept that was established in a previous sci-fi movie and really elevate to such an interesting height of, like, what does being a replicant mean and what is that lonely crushingness of, like, not being human in a world that's totally had to destroy other humans feels like. And I just, I think it's an astonishing, staggering work. And there's so much stuff we haven't even mentioned, like some of the other cast members, like it's populated with great character actors like Lenny James from The Walking Dead or Barack Abdi 
from Captain Phillips or David Desmachio, who's like the Baba Yaga guy from the Ant-Man movies. Shit like that. So many great character actors that just fit perfectly these individual parts in the same way that like when you watch the original movie and you're like, oh, James Hong or, oh, uh, Brian James, like great character actors of that time as well. It feels like it's it treasures the spirit of that original movie without going too far and just fawning over it. It is, I, and I would agree, I think it is the best example of a legacy sequel that's happened so far. Here, here. Yes. God, you're beautiful. <laughs> I love Crush. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, and, you know, I'm excited to see Denny Villeneuve continue, especially now that he's doing Dune. I know you're... <laughs> I just, I literally just creamed my shorts. I can't <laughs> wait for that shit. Oh, my God. No, hey, no. No, it's a fact. You leave that in. I want them to know how important this is to me. I cannot wait for Dune. Dune is like the my sci-fi bible. I, I can't wait. Oh I, my god, I can't I, wait. I want anybody to recognize officially that Adam is forcing me to keep this in. This is against my will for any future court documents. <laughs> what? Oh, come on. Read <laughs> my shorts? I could have got way worse. <laughs> no, you would have, and I'm glad you didn't. But let's uh, go ahead and segue oh, hold on, then. Hold on. Hold on, I got a couple more. No, I'm just kidding. Go ahead. <laughs> Go ahead. Let's let us segue then into uh, our the the end of the show where we'll be picking our movies for next week at the very end. Stay tuned for that. But we also do uh, a little feedback reading where every Monday over at DEDV Pod, that's on Twitter and Facebook, we ask you all about like, hey, what are your favorite or least favorite movies related to whatever topic? So we posted the huge list of all the movies we haven't done for the show and asked you all about those. And so uh, we got uh, James Rodriguez big uh, friend of the show uh says uh definitely interested in hearing you cover miller's crossing mad max fury road rocket man near dark and your name but i'm also interested in what weird concoctions you that could be potentially selected you yo boys in the hood trained to kazam and then ryan quarterman says uh swim fan and mother i guess that could have been one Okay, that could have happened. That was literally, that's literally what could have happened with our it was i believe our thrillers episode because those were both our alternate choices yeah. 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 Well, maybe we'll have to work that in for him one day. Perhaps. Perhaps. Definitely a swim fan. We're both very excited about potentially talking no, about huge, swim huge, huge swim fans. <laughs> That's what our community is called on Reddit. R slash swim fans. Um, but Adam, uh, so of the you know various films that either I or you haven't, you know, could have potentially picked, uh, I would say of yours, like I'm looking at your list literally right now, and I would say um, Secret of Nim is one you've nearly done a couple times. I would love to talk about that movie. Oh, Go back to Samaluth. I think in particular would be interesting. Um, you have The Searchers on there. Westerns is one of those where like we've done two episodes, but we both agree that we don't know if quite either of those did the best job with the genre um, I, yeah, in terms of covering totally. it. I think there's a, there's a lot of fascinating things, especially the search, I think is one of the more interesting ones it has a lot of density to it as a story. Um, and I mean, there's uh, um, even something like, I know we disagree on like eyes wide shut. I would definitely love to discuss on the show because I, we have like mm-hmm. when we have like those differences of opinion, I think it's really fascinating. Um, or, or even just like, some of the smaller fun ones like Nightbreed was one of yours. I would, I would love to cover or troll Two, obviously like another one of these infamously terrible movies to talk about. Um, but, but yeah, and even of, of mine, I, I would definitely say um, it's usually just like some of the smaller ones that I know you haven't seen that I'd love to expose you to like 20th century women, I think is a very underrated movie or the big sick, which I know you would love. I think you would really love that one. I, I have to. it. I haven't watched it. I, I own it literally and i haven't watched it 
or some like um sleeping with other people is another one of those i would definitely recommend or just really weird oddities that i don't know if people would be that interested in talking about but i would just love to like pour over like cabin boy is like primo yeah on that list for me because cabin boy is this weird aberration of a movie <laughs> that shouldn't exist but i'm glad it does because it's fascinating it's just like a weird thing that never should have happened or even like my alternative choice of speed racer i think is another example of that or despite being based on like a big property it is such like a weird out there choice i'm surprised got made and even for a bad example of that i think it's happened a couple times where we've almost picked it bicentennial man is i think a fascinatingly poor film. <laughs> that's something but yeah, I'd like to do you know like a Black Snake Moan. That's a, that's a very fascinating fucking movie. I'd like to do um, you know the Maniac remake. I'd like mm-hmm. to do you know the um, the Departed eventually. I'd yes. really want to do only only lovers left alive. Yes, that's, that's been what a couple I times. Yeah, yeah I, I mean that's just. And then as far as getting into like the other ones, like a history of violence, Ip Man. I'd really like to do Ip Man if we ever go back to martial arts. That's probably one of the best martial arts franchises ever made. And then, you know, I, I agree with some of yours. Like, I definitely agree with, like, Eyes Wide Shut, I, even though I'm not crazy about it, but I haven't seen it in a long time. So it might be fun to get back to it. The Frighteners would be fun, of course. Uh, Mother, everybody keeps talking, you know, Ryan Quarterman especially. So, but uh, the, the one bad one that I really, really hope one day to talk about again, Top Dog. Top Dogs when we've talked about around a lot, but we never <laughs> discussed because yeah. it, that's yeah. but, and that also kind of fits because like it's an infamously terrible movie at least to us, but I don't think it's a movie most people are aware of. For those of you who don't know, it's a movie about Chuck Norris playing a cop who has a dog as his partner, and you think like oh this is gonna be a silly movie for kids, and it mostly is. Except then it'll switch over to our villains. It's like oh who are the wacky villains for this movie? Oh white supremacists. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just what that exists. (laughs) Yep. That's why it's like, oh, this exists. This needs to be talked about. So that's definitely one of the high on my, uh, the ones that were chosen that are bad that I'd like to get into. I think also just with the the bad things briefly, I would also definitely say it's, it's been in the back pocket. And I think I'm going to wait until, cause we need a lot more distance from like an Oogie gloves before I break out like an infamous one. But cats is going to happen at some point, Adam. You won't know when cats is definitely going to happen. Because I just, I wanted a bit of distance from the, like, a Noogie Loves, but also just, like, the big what-the-fuckery of Cats that was going on around when it came out. But I, it'll happen at some point. You know, I know I, it, to go on that route, one that I, I keep having in my back pocket, because I don't know when the hell I'm going to use it. But I've never seen it, and I, I kind of am just fascinated by it on the same level I was with Mac and Me, is fucking Food Fight. Food Fight fits, like, a lot of those same categories as Mac and Me, yes, that's, that's a very good point. Um, or even a bad pick of yours, one, Santa Claus the movie, which Oof. is is like another aberration bizarre movie I'd love to talk about, but also we've never done a holiday episode post the first year that we did this. Oh. So I, I would, if we ever do that again, I think that's definitely the one I'm going to strive for. Also, the one that like our patrons ended up choosing E.T. for the AFI episode, but it was uh, Forrest Gump was one of your bad oh, choices. Fuck. And Forrest Gump is a fascinating movie that has such a long tail that I would love to discuss on this show. Yeah, I'm down to talk about it. I'm down to finally just, you know, lose my shit on that movie. I've never had the chance, unless I'm telling people how fucking stupid I think it is. But that's one I'd love to go into detail on how stupid I think it is and why I think it's so fucking stupid. Right, and even as someone like me who grew up with it, like being weirdly indoctrinated by Forrest Gump. I mean, so did I, really. I mean, right. 
got to figure it came out when I was what thirteen. It didn't come out in ninety six. Right, but I was like two, so like from infancy, it's just oh been a part god. of my life, kind of thing. So oh my god, such a baby! <laughs> well, I know, but that, that's the thing. It would just be like I, it comes from like such an interesting yeah. world. Like Forrest Gump, just like it's automatically accepted. It's like oh, it's a uh, the sky is blue, grass is green. Forrest Gump's a great movie. And then revisiting, especially very recently, when I went through like a bunch of Robert Zemeckis' movies, you're just like oh, this is not good. But it's a weird thing where it's it's. <laughs> I won't go too much farther into detail, but basically, it's an incredibly well-made, terrible movie. <laughs> I think that's accurate. Yeah, it's an sure. incredibly well-loved, terrible movie too. Right. We'll, we'll we'll discuss that at some point, folks. Get your pitchforks down. Wait until we do that yeah. here. Uh, but we also had some other feedback, um, including for um, our last episode one. Just Cameron Castellano says in reference to the uh, When Animals Attack episode uh, and the particular picture i posted as the header for that uh thumbnail is good gets a like for that alone which i think is one of my proudest examples with the ingo and then the congo amy uh with the drink i think it's just like it's kind of perfect um not to toot my own horn um but then also some feedback in reference to our chloris leachman episode which is weirdly becoming one of our more popular episodes adam uh, despite because of the who he loves thing, I'm it's telling you because 100% because, of, because no. you're fucking ass. No, 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 no. It's, no, it's because no. the last picture no. show hive is coming out in droves. You motherfucker, you you went all over Twitter and constantly kept sharing shit about the Oogie Loves and promoting it. <laughs> you you did more promotion for that movie than the actual studio did. I probably and, that's and, true on a budget of nothing. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Um, uh, but some feedback just briefly on that episode from Casey Gerard saying. Uh, Y'all have some double features that melt my brain, but this one just takes the cake. And then Bill L., who says, Thank you for the wonderful look at The Last Picture Show. Uh, for mental health reasons, I may never watch it because it sounds too depressing. I've always heard good things about it, and now I can strongly recommend it to others. And I really enjoyed your discussion of Oogie Loves. Uh, you were articulate, specific, and passionate. I'm sorry you suffered, and one of you, I can't tell which one, is scarred for life. Stay safe, guys, and thank you for all the good company. Bill, that'd be Adam. I'm the one who was scarred for life. I'm just defective. Yeah. yeah. Tom's had a malfunction. <laughs> this is from I an early point. I don't know to love anymore. <laughs> oh, God. I, am I a replicant? Is that what this is? But, uh, yeah, we appreciate the kind words, especially, Bill. Uh, we, we appreciate giving That's... you know, good company out there, for sure. And then this is in reference, actually, to our Patreon page, which we'll get into a bit more. But Rafe Telsch, buddy of ours, um, didn't manage to see Zack Snyder's Justice League over the weekend, but really enjoyed you guys' conversation. And even though you get into spoilers, I didn't feel like it was ruined for me to watch when I uh, had the four-hour window of free time to eventually do so. Uh, well, thank you, Rafe, for one. And uh, yeah, he's well, referencing good. On the Edge of Relevance, which is our new Patreon show we just recently launched where we talked about Zack Snyder's Justice League. Yeah, that's good that it wasn't ruined for him because i got to be honest, it wasn't ruined for me either because the spoilers, you know, before the even movie came out were fucking everywhere. Like, you couldn't get away from it. And uh, yeah, it didn't ruin anything for me either. So I'm, uh, I hope it doesn't for anybody who listens before seeing the movie. I'm glad Rafe liked it. Yep, and two things actually, I just, we didn't mention this in the actual conversation, but I just wanted to highlight two brief things. One, we didn't talk much about the Themyscira scene, but I think that scene's incredible, and I think it especially has a lot of work to develop Connie Nielsen, of all people. I think she gets more development than Wonder Woman does in the movie. And two, um, we talked about how we love Joe Morton, but I forgot to mention he does the heavy breathing bit from Terminator 2 at one point when the parademon's in his fucking apartment. Uh, yeah. I don't know how much 
longer I can hold this. It's so good. Any movie would be 100% improved if Joe Morton just showed up to do the heavy breathing bit. That's all he has to do and gets a nice paycheck and then leaves. Oh, man, I'd give him every Oscar there is. For sound design. <laughs> for sound design. <laughs> yes yes for sure um but thank you all for that feedback we also thank some other people like chris oliver for the intro and outro used for our show i'll listen to more of his music chris oliver.bandcamp.com uh thanks to emily scarda for the art provided for our show and uh, thanks of course to our loyal patreon supporters over there at patreon.com slash dedbpod, where for just $1 a month, you get to listen to bonus episodes if you like On the Edge of Relevance, um, and also vote in polls for movies that we do. And Adam, we're going to hype up. We are going to be recording soon a massive bonus episode. Tomorrow. I'm I, Honestly, I'm betting on three hours. <laughs> it's our Snyder Cut. It's just super yeah, it's our Snyder. I mean, it could go longer. It could go longer. We're doing a full-on... March Madness bracket of the best movie villains ever. And we have three guests with us. So there's five of us talking. It's going to be fun. It's going to maybe get chaotic. I hope not. But either way, it's going to be interesting. And you kind of want to sprinkle that chaos in yourself. I'm definitely going to. But I'll try to keep it as uh, unchaotic as possible. That's right. We should uh, shout out our guests for that. We should reveal, might as well here, will be uh, Caitlin Turner friend of the show obviously and he's been on the patreon um at least previously uh casey gerard same thing and then shaquille lambert making his debut behind the paywall all you sequels fans get ready for some shaquille oh yeah good group a very diverse group uh a lot of uh sort of different personalities a lot of diverse uh, choices as well because they contributed choices to the bracket we didn't choices. expect whatsoever correct correct Yes, and of course, also you patrons, uh, a couple of them actually contributed some fill-in slots as well. So we'll definitely get into all of that. That'll be out at some point the same week, because uh, I have to edit that. It, it'll be at least by, by the 31st at like 11.59 p.m. It'll be within March, I promise. I, prom I promise that much. But um, we also uh, want to encourage you, if you you know like the show and you like hearing us talk about all this stuff, we recommend following us on social media, at DEDBpod, on Facebook and Twitter where we put up the feelers about, like, the feedback collection and stuff like that. And also emailing us, uh, doubleedgedoublebill at gmail.com, all spelled out. And uh, if nothing else, if, you know, if you can't support us via the Patreon for just $1 a month, we do recommend uh, maybe giving us a bit of support with a bit of merchandise purchasing uh, over at T Public, uh, the ESO network store. You can purchase a mug or a T-shirt, a laptop case, a bunch of stuff with our logo on it. So buy our merch. Buy our merch. Again, yeah. just record that and just pipe that in. <laughs> Look. I like making you do it every time. Someone has to you have to repeat something. Dance. Dance, Dance puppet. Who, who's the real replicant this time? You're doing my dirty work now. That's true. That's true. <laughs> well for more of my dirty work. Uh, you can subscribe to me on Twitter, Instagram. Oh, wait a minute. Okay, never mind. Go ahead. I thought you said, for my for more of my dirty work, follow me on OnlyFans. <laughs> no, not. I, I promise you that's not going to happen. Um, but you can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd as at not the who's Tommy. 
uh, where you know I post my musings about movies and other crap. And also I do some writing at both uh, marianithomas.wordpress.com and also at filmcred, that's film-cred.com, where around this time, hopefully because we're right before uh, Godzilla vs. Kong comes out, my piece I've written about embracing the silliness of Godzilla will have, uh, hopefully come out around this time. Awesome. I can't wait to read that. And you can find me on Twitter or Instagram at Atom or Adam. That's A-T-O-M underscore O-R underscore A-D-A-M. Uh, mostly just retweets on Twitter and uh, occasional pictures of my dogs or my kid and stuff like that. Um, and, you know, as, as you if you've been listening the last couple of weeks, I, I've been trying to do something kind of uh, maybe inspirational and I, and I don't want to call myself inspirational, but just trying to get some positive vibes out there. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and follow suit from the last episode. Uh, our buddy Shaquille, the one who was mentioned, who's going to be on the Patreon, his, his mom needs some help. Uh, they have a GoFundMe set up for her so she can go get the necessary treatment she needs for her cancer in Germany. And they're a little bit over halfway of their mark of what they need. Yes. So if we can, Keep getting the share out there. Keep getting the name out there. Keep getting the link out there. Whatever we can do, even if you can't donate, if you can even just share the link, that could help save a life. That could help keep a family together, and that's super important. And, uh, you know, it's all for our buddy. It's And, you know, if you do it for him, you're doing it for us, and uh, we would just appreciate it. Yeah, we'll definitely have that in the show notes. And also, if you donated based on us just talking about it, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Absolutely, thank you. 100%. Uh, but for more of our antics here, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and other podcasting platforms. If you're listening on ESO, why not listen to all the other great shows on the network? And you can also dig into our archives on the Podbean feed uh, for a bunch of episodes we did even before we joined ESO. And nothing else, if you can't buy our merch or pay for the you know $1 a month on Patreon, a completely free way to help us out is to rate, review, or just simply share the show around to give us more visibility. We have we we love our audience. We love like having all of you, but we also wouldn't mind growing that if we can. Give us a fucking retweet, you fucks. <laughs> this is free. Do it for us. Christ, we're starving. <laughs> Please, we're starving on the derelict plant Blade Runner future. The zero dollars we make doing this. Except for all our lovely patrons at patreon.com slash gedbpod. But, but Adam. And all of our merch. Sell through tpublic.com. Go yes, ahead, buy our merch. Buy our merch. Uh, but it's time to do our picking for next week, Adam, before we finally end the show. And uh, we are returning to another topic uh, we haven't done in quite a bit of time. It is time for uh, us to return to the world of video game inspired films. Which, uh, keep in yes. mind, uh, this is not necessarily movies just based on video games. Uh, but also movies inspired to some degree by video games. And uh, you had two good picks that our patrons ended up voting on. And so that's already been chosen for us because it was between uh, Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle, and then the ultimate mm-hmm. winner of Brain Scan, the horror film starring oh, Edward Furlong. Oh, I can't wait. I can't wait. I cannot wait to talk about Brain Scan. I have a feeling you're going to hate it, but I, that's going to make it so much more fun. Yeah, because I have not seen it as of this recording, so I'm very curious to, to dive into that as a good pick. But Adam, I have my two bad picks. I picked number between 1 and 10 for both of those. So now uh, you go ahead and help me out by uh, picking a number between 1 and 10. Shot in the dark, number 6. Okay. 
At number seven, I have a movie that really, I think, fits for our show, given just the title of it. Um, I have one oh. of the earliest examples of video game adaptation. It is Double Dragon. Oh, no. Oh, have you ever seen this? I've seen clips of it, and I'm like, ooh, this looks pretty bad. Oh, no. <laughs> Starring Scott Wolf and Mark DeCascos as brothers somehow. Yep, and I believe, um, isn't it Robert Patrick is the villain with, like, frosted tips and shit? Yep, and Alyssa Milano's in it, too. That's true, that's true, yes. And then uh, over at number three, I had a more modern example. I had uh, the Disney Prince of Persia. Oh, that, okay. All right, well, let's put it this way. I think there's infinitely more to talk about with Double Dragon than Prince of Persia. Yeah. Other than the fact that Jake Gyllenhaal is cast as a Persian man. Um... <laughs> The most Persian man of all. Brain scan and double dragon. Oh, God, dude. Oh, no. This might be, like, torture for you. This this should be interesting, yes. So, uh, <laughs> look, look forward to uh, Video Game Inspired Films 2 Turbo HD Remix next week. Oh, God, I saw double dragon in the theater. Oh, no. <laughs> okay. Well, well on I, that note, everybody, uh, oh. it's, it's time to end this historic episode. And it's time that it, you know, just fell off of our shoulders like tears. In rain. Bye. has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.